Welcome to episode five of the CSD at WCU podcast series. I am Elizabeth Grillo, the moderator of today's discussion. In episode five, we celebrate a hundred years of our department and clinic founded in 1923 by Miss Elizabeth Tyson. Today, we bring together administrators, faculty, adjunct instructors, and alumni to discuss the evolution of our department and clinic. So first, we're gonna begin with introductions. So please share your name, your current employment position here at WCU and or elsewhere. And if you are an alum, your degrees earned and the dates. My name is Cheryl Gunter. I'm a professor of communication sciences and disorders, currently serving as the associate dean for the College of Health Sciences. I am Marila Koenig. I am a professor of communication sciences and disorders, currently in my 33rd year in this institution. Long time institutionalization. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm Jennifer Means. I am an alum and a faculty member. I completed my bachelor's degree here at Westchester in 1986, my master's in 1989. Uh, I am now a full professor in the department, um, and I've been here for 23 years in the department. My name is Colleen Reynolds, and I'm an alum as well. I graduated from Westchester in 1981, which is uh, horrifying to, to hear those numbers. <laughs> I've been doing this for a long time. Um, I've been an adjunct professor since 2004, and right now I currently own a private practice, and I service uh, lots of different populations from pediatrics through geriatrics and home care through critical care. Hi, my name is Carolyn Macrina. And I am also an alum. Um, I graduated with my bachelor's in 1986 and my master's in 1992. I am um, an adjunct professor at Westchester for the past 14 years, and I am also the affiliation coordinator this year. Hi, my name is Patricia Vaselli. Um, I am also an alum. Uh, I graduated uh, my master's in 2004. Um, I am currently working in schools. I also do, I complete bilingual uh, evaluations throughout um, Chester County. And I'm also an adjunct professor. Uh, I've been doing this since 2008. And hi everyone, I'm Michelle Quinlan, also an alum. I did completed my undergrad in 1984 master's in 1987. I recently retired after a 34-year career as a speech-language pathologist, mostly in acute care hospital settings. Wonderful. Don't we have an amazing group of panelists to discuss the evolution of our department and clinic? I'm so excited this evening. So let's begin with Cheryl. Uh, Cheryl, please share some of our amazing history with our listening audience, focusing on Miss Elizabeth Tyson, the founder of our department and clinic. Well, let me warn you that I could talk about Miss Tyson forever, but I won't 
because I'm excited to hear what every other panelist has to share. So I will pass on some of the highlights. Her name was Sarah Elizabeth Tyson, but she used her middle name. But everyone who knew her seemed to refer to her as Miss Tyson. And when I've talked with people who had classes with her or collaborated with her, it was always Miss Tyson this, Miss Tyson that. She was a native of Maryland, born there in 1896 and died there in 1991 at the age of 94. But she earned her undergraduate degree at WCU when we were still Westchester State Normal School. And then another undergraduate degree and graduate degree at NYU. Then she moved back to this area to teach history and English for a while in Newtown Square, and then returned to the university for the rest of her career. She was an assistant professor of English for 40 years. Oh. She is honored in that we have named Tyson Hall on the campus after her. So if you ever walk on Sharpless Street and see the sign Tyson Hall, that is our Miss Tyson. I was wondering today, Cheryl, I was taking a walk on campus and I you know, was walking by Tyson Hall. So that was named for her. Oh, wonderful. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Quite an honor. So when she arrived here on campus, she started with a focus on speech and drama. So she was teaching parliamentary procedure, coaching debate teams, directing theater productions, designing opera costumes, and creating theater props. But with all of that said, what influenced her the most was the fact that she was a sister of a brother with a severe hearing loss. So because of her background in English, she was determined to not only teach oral and written communication to the students in her Westchester classes, but also to local school children who had any kind of a communication challenge. So she opened the front porch of her home in Westchester and invited local school children for after school speech lessons. So for one year, that's what she did. And over the course of that year, she decided that the students in her classes at Westchester who primarily wanted to become teachers needed to be involved in service delivery for children with communication challenges. So in 1923, she established what she called the speech clinic 
on the campus. And she also created a class that she called Speech Problems so that her students could have both the philosophical information and the practical information related to communication challenges. So it is amazing that a front porch clinic and a solitary class now over the last 100 years have evolved into one of the oldest university-based clinics in North America and a renowned program in communication sciences and disorders that has had such a profound impact on the lives of clinic students, clinic patients, staff and faculty members, the campus, the broader community, speech language pathology, and our colleagues in other disciplines. Mm -hmm. So what an amazing legacy that we have from Miss Tyson. Yes, you know, we honor her legacy. We honor that legacy. And I know recently she was awarded a special award at the university. Could you talk about that, Cheryl? Yes, in celebration of the 150th anniversary of the university, there was a program to honor 150 influential women in the history of Westchester University. And Dr. Kim, our department chairperson and I accepted the award in honor of Ms. Tyson, who was selected for that distinction. And there is a bio of her as one of those 150 women uh, posted on the Westchester University website, photo and all. Wow, wonderful. Does anybody have any questions about that history for Cheryl? or comments about it? And I never knew anything about Miss Tyson. So I remember Tyson Hall. So it's really <laughs> lovely to hear that. That is our Miss Tyson. Yes, huh? And when He's you are in the lobby of the clinic, you will see on the wall the plaque that used to be displayed at Tyson Hall. And somehow the plaque was removed and stored in the basement and someone found it called over and said, would you all like to have this? And we said, uh, yes, we would. And now it's in the lobby of the okay. clinic and the department to honor her. Wonderful. Well, what a wonderful introduction to the history of the founding of our department and clinic. Thank you so much, Cheryl. You are welcome. So Cheryl, recently, you know, talking about evolution and development, um, you have moved into an administrative role as the Associate Dean of the College of Health Sciences. And we're wondering what prompted your decision to move into administration and also how did your experiences as a CSD faculty member inform or currently inform your role as Associate Dean? When I completed my CFY, my clinical fellowship here, I worked in an interdisciplinary clinic that was based at a university health sciences center. And one of the outcomes of that experience was that I developed a profound appreciation for the experience and expertise of professionals from other healthcare disciplines. 
And I always wanted to seek out opportunities to collaborate with them. So I had been the chairperson for communication sciences and disorders for six years. And I loved it and did not intend to leave that position. But the position for associate dean opened and I explored out of curiosity what that position involved. And I realized that a lot of what I did at the departmental level, I could continue to do at the College of Health Sciences level and that I could benefit the other five academic departments housed in the college as well. And so that really played into my desire to have those interdisciplinary collaborative kinds of relationships. Plus there have been some opportunities in the associate dean role that I probably would not have had as a chairperson and so there were some opportunities to continue to develop personally and professionally. So I said, well, it could not hurt to apply. So I applied and I completed the interview and received and accepted the offer. And I've been in that position since mid 2019 and have had some very eye-opening, exciting experiences and really like to support the broader mission of the College of Health Sciences in that way. Yeah. Wonderful. It's, you know, we have a legacy. I know in prior, prior faculty have begun in a faculty kind of role and have advanced into administration within our department. And it's just wonderful to see how, you know, through Ms. Tyson, the department and clinic have grown and we continue to grow. We continue to support faculty who are interested in exploring administrative roles and we are so appreciative of your service, Cheryl, to our department, to the college and the university. Does Thank anybody- you. you know, I think I've received a lot more than I've given, but I, I love the opportunity to support our students, our faculty, our staff, our community partners, our alumni, any way that I can. So please know that the Dean's Suite is always open for you to visit. Um, if there's anything that anyone ever needs, please reach out and let us know. Excellent. Does anybody have any other comments or questions for Cheryl? Just we appreciate all that you do. You too. Cheryl, I'm curious, what are the departments under um, health sciences? Um, we have health. We have kinesiology. We have sports medicine, which is also the home for our relatively new physician assistant studies program. Uh, we have nutrition and we have nursing and of course, wow. communication sciences and disorders. Wow, that's, that's a lot. And, and you know, it's interesting related to the history of the founding of the department. As Cheryl said, Ms. Tyson began this in speech and drama, Cheryl. Mm -hmm. So it began in speech and drama and through the years it evolved underneath, you know, we became an, a part of the College of Health Sciences, right? And our department name has changed through the years. I think our recent change was maybe five or six, seven years ago or eight, I can't remember the exact year, but we changed it. We eventually became communication sciences and disorders. 
So um, as Cheryl said, we began as a, a front porch speech clinic uh, to now we're this beautiful independent department underneath this amazing interprofessional College of Health Sciences. Mm -hmm. um, so moving to Marila. So Marila, you are our longest serving faculty member. So I'd like for you to talk about how the department has evolved through the years. What have you have what have you seen that's been significant changes and how have these changes uh, positively impact student success? Well, I think, um, you know, I, in thinking about this, uh, I identified 11 changes and probably am missing some, but um, all of them together, I think, make uh, this a much richer learning environment for our students. Um, so in 1990, the department was housed on the third floor of a dormitory. Um, and all of the faculty offices, as well as the clinic areas, were actually dorm rooms. <laughs> um, the classes were held in, what would you call that space? I guess a little recreational area on each floor of the dorm. We all kind of squeezed into that space together uh, for classes. Um, obviously things are different now. We have a nice uh, space in our department at 201 Carter Drive. And it's just, you know, a world of difference really. So Not that's when- in the basement. Remember the basement on Wayne Hall, everyone? That was before my time, believe it or not. Oh, wait, yes, I do. I do remember it. Occasionally, we were down there. Didn't we have the audiology booth down there? Wasn't the yep. audiology booth in the basement? Yep. yep. So another change is that, um, you've already mentioned it, that the name of the department, I think, was speech, language, and hearing. And it's gone through some changes. Now it's communication sciences and disorders. Um, in 1990, there were eight faculty members, four of them were women, four were men, and um, two of the women uh, had master's degrees rather than PhDs. Now, and I'm talking about permanent faculty, obviously, we've always had adjuncts. Uh, now we, we have seven faculty members, all of them at the doctorate level, uh, and all six are women. One is a man. We love him. We, um, you know, the the at this point, um, the number the students in our program, in our graduate program, and undergraduate, I suspect as well, are mostly women, and so it's nice to have role models at the faculty level who look like the people that we're teaching, although an increasing number of men have come into the program. So it's also nice to have male role models, I think. Um, we've always had amazing graduate students. I do not remember a time when I didn't think that our students were just incredible. Uh, one of my personal first supervisees was Carolyn Macrina, who is one of our faculty, one of our panel members here. And, um, Carolyn and I shared an interest in autism and had a great collaborative relationship during that clinic experience. I will never forget it. Uh, Carolyn actually, you know, I, and I think I have a video. Uh, Carolyn actually facilitated the first word 
of uh, one of our two-year-old clients. It was a very dramatic moment. So our graduate students have always been awesome. I'm sure the undergraduates were awesome as well. I haven't taught as many undergrads, so I can't speak to it as well. Um, we, um, you, The number of graduate students in the cohorts used to be about 28. Now we have about 36. Um, and so, you know, that affords a greater number of opportunities for students to study communication sciences and disorders. Um, course offerings were much narrower. We would occasionally have special um, topics on, for example, school-age language disorders or dysphagia or AAC. Now those courses are a regular part of the curriculum. Um, I will also say that um, autism was not a uh, topic that was discussed much when I first came here. Since it happens to be my special interest, I talked about it a lot and infused it into my courses and was told by the chair at the time that I talked too much about autism and to tone it down. Now I wish we had a separate course in it uh, because there's so much information. And of course, everything around us has changed. The prevalence of autism has increased. There's much more support for autism in the schools. That's a whole other Oprah show that I could talk along about, uh, but I will uh, temper my discussion here. Um, so believe it or not, evidence-based practice itself was not emphasized in the same way that it is now. That's something that our national organization put on the map as, uh, you know, if you want to be accredited at the graduate program level, you better talk about this and find, you know, specific tasks to infuse this into the curriculum. And we certainly have done that. We require all of our students to write papers on evidence-based practice to support their selection of intervention strategies when they're in the clinic. Um, clinical simulations were just not offered. We didn't have uh, the technology or even, I think, the concept at the time. We certainly uh, talked about case studies, but we didn't actually have the means to provide simulations. Um, interprofessional collaboration, I think, as Cheryl has pointed out, were always a part of our thinking. Nobody who works in this field thinks they do it, you know, independently. Uh, but over the years, ASHA has required, again, for accredited programs, more and more infusion of um, specific attention to specific strategies and uh, information about interprofessional collaboration. And I think that has also been an asset uh, for the students. Um, diversity was always preferred, I think, at our university. But again, over the years, the university has done more uh, to um, facilitate that, to access, uh, to interest a larger variety of uh, students to Westchester. And um, that has been reflected in our program as well. And we keep trying to do it. And there are some new things in the works about that. And then finally, the last thing that I could think of, although I'm sure I will think of others, um, is that Westchester was classified as an R3 institution, which meant that um, 
uh, as an institution, we were um, highly focused on the quality of teaching with encouragement for um, scholarly work. Recently, within the past few years, we have become an R2 institution. These are Carnegie classifications. And so there is a greater emphasis on research. I believe over the years, the university has um, uh, placed a greater emphasis on research and uh, provided systematic support for research in a variety of ways. Uh, grants, um, meetings with faculty members who have um, gained support for their work, all sorts of things. So those, those are the 11 big things that I could think of. Um, I think all of them in combination and even individually have made this a much better learning environment for the students that we serve. It has enhanced the services that our clients get in the clinic. And of course we have a we have had a knock your socks off clinic director in Jen Means who really um, helped to um, shape the clinic into the amazing clinic that it is now. So those are my thoughts. Excellent. And that's such a nice segue into Thank talking you, with Jennifer. That's a wonderful segue. Thank you, Mariah. So, that so was very good. Thank you. Yes. So, so let's bring in Jennifer as um, she has had a unique experience because she completed both her bachelor's and her master's degree here at CSD at WCU. Um, she is also currently now serving as a faculty member. She has served as clinic director. So Jen, you have a very unique perspective. What was it like going from student to faculty member at WCU? And also from that perspective, how have you seen the department evolve over the years? Wow, leaps and bounds, um, I have to say. So starting out in 1982 as just a young kid leaving home um, and having these amazing classes, by the way, uh, within the department, but clinical experiences in the dorm, um, in the second floor of Wayne Hall. Um, oddly enough, ironically enough, I lived in Tyson Hall uh, So for my freshman year. So that was really kind of exciting to learn about Miss Tyson years later. I didn't know, I didn't know it at the time. Um, and so our, our clinic had just evolved considerably, returning as a faculty member after serving 17 years in the public schools um, was the highlight probably of my career. I didn't wanna work anywhere else after earning my doctoral degree. I only wanted to be back at Westchester. And, uh, but the difference within the clinic, I've uh, like, like Cheryl could talk about Ms. Tyson, I could talk about the clinic for hours on end uh, and the changes that occurred, but it was kind of uh, interesting. Uh, the uh, adjuncts might feel the same way, returning to a setting where I'm no longer the student, I'm now a faculty member working with former professors. And that was a little bit of a challenge that took some getting used to, but um, the clinic, in its changes over the years, uh, walking into Carter Drive and just seeing this 
amazing uh, facility with a beautiful waiting room for children and soundproof booths and the ability to record. Granted, it was VHS tapes that we were putting in to record, but we had the ability to record these sessions and go back and watch our sessions. So I, I think that the greatest changes for me within the clinic was the technology. So, you know, we now um, have the ability to record our sessions that are HD uh, quality for us to have Bluetooth headsets for the students. So supervisors can communicate with their students 100% um, of the time. Um, for me, I think the Bluetooth headsets have made such a huge difference because I remember being a student and you'd be going through your therapy and suddenly the door would open and the supervisor would come in and say, no, do this, right? And so, and it disrupts the whole therapy session. So now we have the ability to say, no, do this with the headset on. Um, but beyond that, we can also now say to the students, that was awesome, do it again. And we never really had that opportunity. It was always after the fact. Oh, when you did this with the client, you know, that was wonderful. So now I think that our students might walk away with a little bit more confidence because we really have the ability to say, hey, you're doing a great job in the moment, in the teachable moment. So that's really exciting. We also have the ability to archive the videos of our clients. So supervisors and students can see the growth of our clients through semester after semester. And we can also use those videos in our courses to really demonstrate um, you know, what, what therapy in action is and assessment in action is. Um, and it's so much more meaningful. Um, so I think that that's what I've really seen the, the big change. I've also seen a huge change in our client population. I remember when I was a student, many of our clients were primarily uh, our clients were young children. And so we've grown to serve approximately 80 to 90 clients per semester. And so that's just huge. That's amazing. And a crazy diverse population. You know, we, we have pediatrics, we have adults, we have uh, adolescents, we have across the spectrum of disorder and needs. And so that's really exciting. We're, we also have the opportunity, since we have so many clients, to provide group therapy sessions. And that's something that we really haven't done a lot of in the past because we haven't had the clientele to do so. So now we're really preparing students to handle large groups. Um, so, so that's been pretty amazing, the, the diversity of our clients. Yeah, I would add, you know, transgender voice care. Yes. Yes. Uh, to that diversity. That's something we never have had before in the 30 years that I have been here. Yeah. And, and that's that's pretty recent. So, I mean, we owe a lot of thank yous to Dr. Grillo and her work and spreading the word uh, about um, our ability to treat uh, transgender um, patients. So Jen, we, as you all know, I guess it's been three years now, I can't believe it's been three years ago, but we had COVID-19 hit, right? The pandemic hit and everything shut down. We, you know, everything closed, all in-person services closed down, but we could not close down because we had to get our students, students through our graduate program. We had to continue to serve our clients and meet their needs in our clinic. So I think it would be important for you to share with our listening audience, how we quickly pivoted 
um, to transition to telepractice services for our clients and our students. Yeah, I, I will say that that was probably the most challenging year. Was it only a year? It felt like 10 <laughs> um, of my entire career. Um, at that, I mean, I was director of clinical services, so I was running the clinic with patients coming in, as well as coordinating students on their internships, both in the schools and in the medical settings, um, the position that uh, Carolyn now, now uh, performs. But yes, all of our students were in the schools performing, um, and that halted. And then we had to make sure that we could take care of our clients uh, in, in the clinic. And it didn't feel like we quickly pivoted, but but I suppose we really did. Everyone jumped into action. Um, I certainly didn't do it alone. And we were able to turn to remote services and quickly had to educate our students on teletherapy. We provided them with online resources like uh, Pearson's Q Global and Super Duper's online library. And I have to say, our students were amazing. They rose to this challenge with professionalism and grace and didn't panic. And it went far better than we expected. Um, and then our professionals took our students who were in their internships and assisted them with teletherapy um, as best they could. And then faculty rallied to be able to provide students with uh, simu case and simulations to help prepare them um, for their CFY and, and make sure that our students graduated with the skills that they needed in the clinical hours that were required. So, you know, hats off to our students that just really handled it uh, like pros. But out of that, now that we've recovered from all of that, that teletherapy stays in place. It's amazing. Uh, I don't know that we really would have moved in that direction as quickly as we did had we not gone through that whole process of COVID and um, having us move to remote services. So, you know, that's still in place and the clients are thrilled with that opportunity. Some of our clients were driving over an hour for services and now they can be at home for those services. Um, some of our clients with ambulatory issues where it was really exhausting and, and a great deal of effort to get inside of the, you know, from the car into the building, back home again, they can have therapy in their own home. And, and frankly, for some of our children and our adults, they're surrounded by their caregivers who now participate in therapy, their own home environment. Um, so the generalization of skill is certainly uh, increased. So it, you know, it, out of COVID being a horrible thing for us, it really did expand our, our scope of services and our service delivery. Yeah, I think it's I think it speaks to our department and our expertise on multiple levels. We were able to do this quick pivot and meet all of these needs. I mean, you know, I'm very proud of the fact that we we're able to do that. And we continue to offer telehealth services to clients and caregivers who are interested. So that is a big plus for, for the department and the clinic. So I would like to hear from the other panelists, Carolyn, Colleen, Patricia, Michelle, um, discuss how the department and clinic has evolved over the years for you, and how did your training at WCU prepare you for a successful career in speech-language pathology? I'll go first if that's okay. Um, this is Carolyn. So I would say um, probably what comes to mind first about how um, things have evolved and I have to go into the clinic piece of it because I do supervise um, the graduate level clinic and also the diagnostic, but the materials that we have 
that um, are at our fingertips. Like we do have such a great um, set of resources that we can use as far as uh, therapy materials, assessments. We have all the current assessments that um, are needed. And that's one thing that's been great about having um, even the adjunct faculty who are out practicing in the field um, can make suggestions about um, assessments that they use um, currently in their jobs. And um, once that suggestion, suggestion is made, we get um, that material or that um, assessment that our students can then practice and use. Um, so that's been a really um, exciting thing. Um, even um, the iPad lab we have now. So we have iPads that um, our students can use, but also our clinicians can use. Um, and another area of my interest is AAC. So besides having that AAC class now um, at the graduate level, we also have um, a lot of um, apps on the iPads that we can do um, some trials. We do some AAC assessments. We've had some um, summer programs with AAC, uh, AAC users and things like that. So that's been a really um, nice piece that I've seen evolve over the years um, since I've been at Westchester. Uh, one of the things I, and I know your other question was about um, the training. I would say I just had such great experience at Westchester um, as an undergrad and also as a graduate uh, level student. I had great uh, clinical affiliations. I did my school placement in Westchester Area School District, and I actually was able to go from elementary, middle, and high school. So I had um, a wide range of um, experience with the grade levels, and then I was able to go to a hospital setting and, and do some outpatient and inpatient. And just having the collaboration with the faculty and um, knowing that we could always um, reach out when we needed to and ask questions, we knew who would help us along the way. I just feel like having that nice, small, um, knit community of um, the faculty members was really helpful and, and definitely prepared me. I work with children um, in the school setting. I had a private practice for 13 years working with children and I felt like I was very well prepared from um, my schooling at Westchester. Excellent. Um, it's Colleen, and, and I uh, I feel the same way. Uh, you know, I came into this field, I had an undergraduate degree in English literature. And uh, so I came into this field with no undergraduate background at all. And when I got to graduate school, I think I may have been one of the first grad qualifiers. I, they weren't quite sure what to do with me, I don't think. But, um, but I took the prerequisites and then, you know, went right into the graduate program. And it was total immersion in this field that I love. And I was surrounded by this, this group of professionals who were so willing to share their knowledge with me. And I think, you know, that just made such a huge difference. And I think for me, it taught me everything that I wanted to be as, as an instructor and a teacher. It taught me all the, all the things that I wanted to do and I wanted to share. So um, I think that's part of the legacy of the department, you know, part of the legacy they left to me and part of the legacy I want to leave to, to the students I interact with. So I was so well prepared, but I was also... Uh, you know, thinking about when we were talking about Wayne Hall and, you know, being on the second floor of the dorm. And I don't know whether you remember, but, you know, talking about technology, I remember when the sound spectrograph had its own dorm room. I mean, it was this huge machine and it smelled terrible every time we had to use it. Every time we just cranked it up, it just had this horrible smell that permeated the dorm. So, uh, so our, our technology has come a long way. And I think you're right. We've done a good job at integrating the technology into the practice. Um, and, and do you remember the clinic office at Wayne Hall? I do. Yeah. I was a grad assistant. 
I was a grad assistant and I spent a lot of hours in there. The waiting room was, was a little dorm room and uh, yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> no computers. You know, that's yeah, another right. thing that I should have yeah. mentioned. We didn't have computers. When I came here, I asked for one as part of my startup package. And they looked at me as if I had three ears and a tail. <laughs> you know, now I don't know how we could. Yeah, right. Wow, right. look at it. Wow, that's not, and that's not that long ago if you think about it, Marat. Thirty years ago, maybe. Thirty years. Well, it. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, I mean, it's within my lifetime, is what I mean. You know, it's, yeah. <laughs> when you when you say something like that, we didn't have computers. It sounds like that's like a hundred years ago. I guess that is also a hundred years ago. Well, Feels like it. You know, really, yeah. burning spect spectrographs and punch cards. Yeah. Yes, yes. I have to point out that you have something in common with Miss Tyson. You both have degrees in English. Okay. And think about it. And you've sure. made incredible contributions just like she did. So well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. It's uh, you know, I, I love giving back to the place that gave me a, a lifetime and, and a, just a, a wonderful career. And I just, you know. Um, can't imagine getting up in the morning and doing anything else. So it's it's been a great ride. But uh, you know. and our students love you. Yes. Yeah. They they speak so highly of uh, your courses and your supervision. And so we're glad that we provided an environment in which you could grow all of your amazing skills. You did. And and you know what? I supervise uh, a lot of Westchester students now out in the hospital and. Uh, and I love to watch them. I love to watch the progression from, you know, in-house classes to the in-house clinics to being out practicing. And, and I still have to say, you know, I supervise students from other universities and I still have to say the way we prepare our students, uh, there's there's just no, no other group that comes to us that's as well prepared as the Westchester students are. And uh, our, you know, whatever we're doing, I think is making a huge difference. So we're turning uh, turning out a lot of really, really super competent professionals. And I love watching their careers too. You know, yes. the, the new students making inroads into the fields. It's, it's really uh, quite awesome. I mean, I, when you think about our scope of practice, when I was in school, we didn't have a dysphagia course. Uh, right. When I graduated, the OTs were doing dysphagia. And then, uh, you know, to watch how that practice has developed too, it's been... Uh, yeah, incredible. So yeah, I think we turn out great students, very well prepared students, and very enthusiastic students. So oh. it's a pleasure. But Patricia, share with us your experiences. Yes, um, I've had a little bit of a different experience, and uh, I come from Brazil. I was born and raised in Brazil. I actually graduated my undergrad in Brazil as a speech pathologist and audiologist. Um, you're certified in both there, and then when I moved here, I um, applied to Westchester. It, it, it was a little tough to get in uh, because in the beginning, the first time I attempted, I went just to speak with the department chair and he told me that I really didn't have a chance because uh, of language and because it would be too complicated to do all the paperwork. I persisted and once we had Dr. Weiss as a department chair, he um, he just received me with open arms and he said, if you get all your documents translated and transcribed and credits and all of that, uh, you're in. So I did. I got in and I was a grad assistant. And I only I have to say that I am so grateful 
um, to all my professors to that became my friends and colleagues uh, after I, you know, went back to teach. I am so grateful because we're talking about, you know, many years ago, uh, 2002 was when I started and uh, my first language is not English. And even though I was a speech and language pathologist in Brazil for about 10 years before moving, uh, I had my clinical experience and all of that, but just learning how to treat, diagnose uh, clients that are not, um, that don't have my, are not my native language. I have to say that I had all the support from my professors. And, and that made a, a world of difference. And uh, so I think, obviously, I had something to compare to. I had a wonderful undergrad experience in Brazil. I was in a medical school there. Um, and um, the courses were great. And I had a lot of clinical experience during the whole course. Um, but obviously, moving here, uh, I really valued that immediate, uh, you know, feedback that I had from my supervisors, the connection between research and uh, the practical, you know, practicum. Um, so I, I felt supported, I felt valued. Uh, and I think we were talking about diversity. And at that time, even though it wasn't that long ago, uh, my undergrad was way <laughs> back when, but grad student, uh, we really didn't have a lot of diversity. So uh, the fact that I was able to be so welcome uh, and have all the support for uh, from everyone, and I know that after that, we only had even more diversity in our clinic. And uh, we talked about uh, treating transgender voices. Um, and we also, I wanted also to bring up that we also had accent modification uh, clients. So we've had several. And I think one of the um, funniest things, obviously I have an accent myself. I think one of the uh, funniest things that happened one time as a supervisor, um, we had a client who wanted to modify his accent. And Jen Means said, you're going to get that client to supervise. And I said, wait, I have an accent. What do you mean? I'm going to treat somebody. Uh, I'm going to supervise the case. And it was actually, she said, I think it would be great for that. And it was actually an amazing experience because I could actually really hear all the differences and things like that. And I could uh, actually support my um, student in that area. So I think for me, obviously, this is a very personal, you know, uh, experiences. And uh, uh, I've had several of you as uh, my professors, uh, Colleen, Jen, Cheryl, Mariah. Uh, and I, I really wanted you to, to know, like, how I really appreciate all, all the support that you gave me and all uh, the students. On, uh, on the other hand, as a supervisor, I'm a supervisor at the clinic, um, but I'm also a supervisor uh, in schools for students, for clinicians that need to have their, you know, out, outside of clinic experience. And I also have to say, I've, 
uh, I've done this for a few years and several of the students that I supervised at school, they were hired uh, by our company. Um, somebody who's he, she is working with me right now. So, so she's my colleague now and I supervised her last semester. So it, it is just an amazing experience, like Colleen said, just to see the growth of those students and clinicians and how they actually really work with, you know, our uh, kids in schools. Uh, it, it's just amazing to see how well prepared uh, they are. So um, excellent. Well, that's, that's my I part. Say, <laughs> Patricia, you are like my point of pride through, you know, because I arrived and you were one of my students and one of my first uh, students to supervise in the clinic and to watch you grow and be amazing. And now you are known across the county, girl. You know, people (laughs) know that name as the bilingual SLP with your expertise. I'm so happy to hear, Jen, and you know, I have you very close (laughs) to my heart. Very, very special. And Jen gave me a hard time when I was, when she was supervising me. Uh, she would say, where's your data? And I'm like, mm. I was so excited in therapy that I forgot to take data. And I had to confess to her. <laughs> and, I had to, and sometimes I would answer in Portuguese to my supervisors, which was actually pretty funny because I got so excited. And with the emotion, the Portuguese comes out. And it was very funny to see my supervisors look at me. Um, okay, I don't think I understood what he said. So. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's so funny. <laughs> so Michelle, we wanted to hear about your um, perspective. So I must confess, it's been a very long time since I've been back at the university. But from what I hear, I mean, technology has changed the world and it's changed our field in so many ways. I remember, I feel like I was very well prepared back in 1984 when I left as an undergrad but I remember the clinic so fondly. Was it in Wayne Hall then? Yes. I can picture it. And I even know my first client, I actually had an aphasic adult and I was so like, Ooh, you know, <laughs> um, but again, like, you know, dysphagia, there really was, I knew the anatomy, the physiology, but there wasn't really classes on that. So, you know, throughout the years, you, you tend to, to learn, you know, where, wherever you're working and learn by doing, but I, I just, it was like home. I mean, our field is where day one, you're starting with speech path classes and, you know, that was our second home on campus. So, so I'm, I'm anxious to get back and see all the changes. I was going to say, we wow, that is so cool. <laughs> we are excited to welcome you back on April 1st. I know. Thank you for our yes, I know. I know. Yes. I can't wait. So Michelle, you and your husband have graciously donated uh, financial support to our department to fund simulations, technology, renovations of the space at Carter Drive, and also importantly, student scholarships. So I'd like you to discuss what prompted you and your husband to offer this financial support and why giving back is so valuable. Well, because I, like I said, it was our second home. I mean, and you know, Westchester University, not just communication disorders, but all the friends that you meet, it's part of our lives. And we're fortunate enough that we can both give back to our alma maters. Um, at first, I really wanted to do scholarships initially. 
Um, I had to pay my own way through college. I did financial aid. I think it was 10 years after graduation, I paid that last student loan. Um, and I think, you know, the letters from the students who receive scholarships from us brought me back and, you know, made me want to give back even more because I thought of my time there. And um, so then it was like, well, what do you need? <laughs> like, what, what could the department use? So, so then we, you know, we discussed it and gave back that way, but I'm happy to give back and I yes. can't wait to come and visit. We are so grateful for your support. Um, it has, and you, when you come and when you come to visit, you'll see all of the amazing things we've done with that support. And of course, you've heard from our students already, and you'll get to meet some of our current students at the April first banquet. So we are so excited that you're coming. So, um, how one one kind of last point here before we end? Um, I wanted to hear from especially our adjunct professors who keep coming back to us. So what is it about our program that makes us unique that you want to come back and you want to keep uh, teaching our students, supervising our students? What makes us unique? I, I think, first of all, it's the way that, that the faculty has really integrated the adjuncts into being part of the faculty. I mean, I don't feel like we're separate. I feel like we're a part of everything that's going on in the department, and I really like that. Uh, so that would be the first thing. And then the second would be, I think, the caliber of their students. I, I really want to participate and continue to turn out these fine professionals. I, I tell all my students, you're the ones who are going to be taking care of me. Exactly. <laughs> so I want to make sure you get it right. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> Truth. Yeah. So, my old age next week. So, uh, so you know, but uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to be anyplace else. That's great. I would agree with you, Colleen, too, just that part of we always feel a part of of all of you. Um, and I think for me, it's just how much I learn from the students and um, it just keeps us fresh. And, you know, um, one of the things that's really neat is like uh, somebody's mentioned about us following those who've gone off um, and gotten placements or jobs, sometimes we'll reach out to people, graduates. So it, we start to know our resources. We know who we can check in with um, on the faculty if we, if our students need help or if we need to learn something. Uh, when we had some transgender students, I reached out to a former Westchester graduate who was, that's what she is focusing in um, with her uh, current position. And she was able to give us um, some guidance and things like that. So and I think that's a neat thing for us to learn and, and also to model for the students that we're this is a lifelong learning um, career and that you have to know your resources. So I think it's kind of neat to be able to model, you know, that for them as well. Who can you ask? Who can you reach out to? And and that who can we collaborate with? So I always feel like I learn so much each semester that I'm working at Westchester. I have a really good example of uh, the same. Uh, so when Carolyn was my advisee, she had come to our program, I think, uh, after or during working at the Delaware Autistic Project. Is that correct? And that is the home of um, Andy, was the home of Andy Bondi and Lori Frost, who developed the picture exchange communication system. So when Carolyn and, and I, even though I was wildly interested in autism, I don't think their book had been published. I had maybe heard one presentation by 
Andy Bondi and thought it was pretty interesting, but didn't have any training in it. And so Carolyn came and with that same uh, client that I described earlier, who said his first word while working with Carolyn, she introduced PECs a form of PECs. I mean, it wouldn't be called PECs now, but at the time, that was the stage of its evolution. And, you know, wow, it opened my eyes. And I think we did an ASHA presentation on that thereafter. So, yeah, I learned tremendously from students. And, you know, it's a cross-fertilization process. Right. I was going to say the same thing, Marila, that I love going back because uh, I learned so much uh, from the students and I love to share my experiences and more practical things for them to do while still obviously doing evidence-based uh, uh, therapy and diagnostics. Uh, but it's, it's so great to be part of it and also to be learning and to, uh, I feel like every semester that I go back, I have so many great experiences uh, getting to know the students and and just learning about all the different cases that Westchester has there at the clinic. It's so cool to see how they interpret strategies that, that are presented to them in class and that they read about. They each do it in their own unique, wonderful way. They do, and I love hiring our students because they make such a rich addition to my staff uh, because they are, you know, they're encouraged to think, they're encouraged to research, they're encouraged to really develop professionally. And I think uh, even coming out of CFYs, they are such a rich addition to the staff um, that it, it benefits all of us. Well, I think a benefit of our curricula is that, you know, they, they take multiple, they complete multiple in-house clinics. You know, they have two speech and language therapy clinics, they have a hearing clinic, they have a diagnostic clinic. They take all of their classes and then finally, at that point, they go out to their affiliations. So they are extremely prepared. They do their school-based placement in their last spring semester. They're taking the medical speech language pathology course in the evening, one night a week. And then their last clinical experience is that summer and then they graduate. I mean, they are so prepared. That's why so many of our supervisors who take our students say, we want Westchester students. And I think it's because of how we've developed the curricula, you know, one of the reasons why that they are so sought after because they are totally prepared and ready to go in those affiliation experiences. So does anybody have any last words of wisdom that they'd like to share that we haven't talked about yet before we end this amazing discussion? I just cannot help but wonder what Ms. Tyson would say. Um, the people I've talked with who actually had some kind of interaction with her, spoke to the fact that she was a somewhat opinionated lady. And I can't help but think that she would say, wow, look at what we've done over the past 100 years. Uh, either that or we might just render her entirely speechless for one time in her life. <laughs> So that's, that's my question. What would she say? But I think she would be enormously happy. Yeah. What a wonderful way to end. That is a perfect way to end this discussion. Thank you so much for participating. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you.